Hi, I'm Mike Marino, and this is a brand new episode of Live from My Mother's Basement. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or good day, because I don't know where it is where everybody's watching the show, but welcome to another edition of Live from My Mother's Basement. I'm very happy to be here in the real basement where I grew up in New Jersey, and you can see this is an actual bar, and it works. But I'm very excited to be here this afternoon because not only is this guy a genius doctor, a real professional doctor, but he likes to do comedy every once in a while, let's say on the side. It's like a side job. So this is Dr. John Kelly. What's happening, my friend? Well, nice to see you. Michael, Thank you so much. My, uh, comedic <laughs> mentor. All right. John came all the way to New Jersey from Philadelphia. Yes. How long was the drive? Uh, hour and a half, including two tickets. No, come on. Nah, no, I got the, about an hour and a half, but you know, you just got to follow the flow, New Jersey Turnpike, follow the trucks. I'm cool. Right. I'm cool. So it took two, an hour and a half? Hour and a half, yeah. yeah that's not really bad. Not, not so bad. That's not so bad. All right, and we're catching this show in the middle of the afternoon. Yes. And um, starting to do all these new pre-records because luckily for me and my producer, Tatiana, we've been getting a lot of people calling in saying they'd like to be on the show. And since we were only doing it every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, it was very difficult to fit in so many different people that we wanted yes. to have some fun with. So these pre-records are going to be really, really great. A lot of fun. And new, it's different, and it's just you and me. You're having your coffee. I got my bottle of water. We're going to talk, and we're going to let everybody know what you really do and how you got to do that because, I mean, let's be honest. Now, I'm going to have a lot of questions that I know you've been asked, like why would you want to cut open somebody's shoulder and look at that? How do you even do that? How do you have the stomach for that? Yeah. And then you turned it into comedy. Yeah, well. And you presented it at night. So let's go back in the life of, uh, of John Kelly. Now, where did it all start? Where were you born? I was born and raised in Wilmington, Delaware. And most people say, Delaware? <laughs> it's uh, got three counties, two at high tide. And I had an identical twin brother, Michael, who was even more talented yeah. than I am, who is uh, going to be with the Lord. But, uh, you know, my father was a comedian. There's a lot of genetics. You know, this, this just doesn't happen. Even my wife will say to me, do you got to be so outgoing? I'm like, I, I can't help it. I, it it's, just part, it's just who See, I, I am. See, I didn't even know that. Now, your father was a real professional my comedian? My father was a professional, and he was, I would say, second tier because... He worked right nearby. I was thinking about him driving up here for Chrysler Mopar, either in Rahway, one of those places. And he was a salesman for Chrysler. He auditioned for the Jack Parr show, made the audition, and his boss found out, said, you ain't going on. So that was a career change for him. He could have really, I mean, he's extremely talented, the ultimate in timing. Uh, so he ended up doing the next logical thing, went into politics and owned a bar in That's Delaware. That's right. So was he a professional comedian for a, a while, and for then a while, he stopped? He did the Catskill thing. He did, um, you know, some some gigs in New York City, and then have you know, he settled down. Had Mike and me and my sister Marianne, who's probably the funniest Kelly, honestly. So he had to get serious. Had a real career, and he ended up being sheriff of Newcastle County, politician. And they owned up. Then he uh, bought the Kelly's. Well, he took over Kelly's Logan House, which is the longest continuously owned family bar in America. I'm John D. the Fourth. I had a fifth before I came on. That's a joke. So John D. Early the in the first afternoon. in 1889 took over this bar in Wilmington, Delaware, called Kelly's Logan House. And to tell you how old it is, Michael, it was named after General in the Civil War. 
Of course, we just redecorated it. We put all new drunks in. It looks really nice. I don't know whether to take him seriously or not. His jokes are really killing me. Um, I don't write them. <laughs> but I'm bummed. So, but that, that's so interesting to me that your father was a comedian because so many people ask me all the time, do you come from a family of comedians? And the answer is absolutely, absolutely. not. They, well, they were not in this business I at do. all. I come from a regular family that's just Italian. And it was construction and food, and that's it. So nobody was doing what I was doing at all. Well, it's funny because my grandfather was, what the word is, laconic. I mean, if he had three words out, it was a big deal. My dad was like, and I'm just so much like him, I mean, he could just brighten up a funeral. And I, I honestly and truly, this is who God made me. And my wife is always saying, do you have to be so funny and outgoing? I'm like, I, I can't help it. And it really helps with medicine because, you know, medicine is the healing arts. Right. You know, would you rather have a doctor with a personality? You walk in and say, uh, Mr. Marino, I'm sorry, we're going to operate. Uh, and you have two months to live. We're like, hey, we got this. Yeah. We got I this. I hear you. And I, no, and by the way, I, I uh, wish there would be more doctors out there that had what we all used to call bedside manner, and they made you feel like yes. everything is going to be okay. Yeah, and for the Might record, even told a joke or two. For, for the audience, I got my license back last week, just so, so they know. Just so you could be a practicing physician again? Yes, I got it back. So they let's say the they dropped the charges. Delaware, then you went on to college. Where are you in college? College, I, um, uh, my brother, the twin, was a fantastic football player. So I got some looks because I was, well, if he's his twin brother, he must be good. So we got recruited by all these schools, and one of them was uh, Columbia University right down the road. So we played for Columbia, uh, was, was known as a perennial loser, but in our time, in the late 70s, we actually were decent. We had a wonderful coach named William Campbell, right, who left coaching and became like this, uh, who ran Silicon Valley. He was a fantastic life coach. And he got us tutors. He got us. We were poor. We had us jobs. We actually had Catholic mass for every football game. Right. And he was grit personified. So I think, it, you know, playing for Columbia in New York City really taught me a lot about toughness because I was born in the sheltered. So when he was playing, you weren't playing? No. My, so Mike got me recruits, and then we both played at Columbia four years. And I had a serious knee injury, and I had actually aspirations to get a tryout. That was my ego, you know, kicking in. Because I really, all I thought about was football and cheerleaders. And I realized <laughs> after I tore my ACL my junior year, I said, I, I, I got to make something in my life. So we had a wonderful team doctor named Robert Zickel, uh, who was just known throughout New York as a, as a maven in, in sports medicine. And he took good care of me. And I said to myself, I, I, I want to be that guy. And um, my GPA went from a 2.7 to a 3.9. So I thank God for the ACL tear. And then, knowing what ACL injuries are like, when someone comes in the office, they tear their ACL. I'm like, I know exactly how you're feeling now. Exactly. So it, everything, everything worked out for the best. What exactly is ACL stand for? I'm sorry, that's the anterior cruciate ligament of the knee, which is the one most athletes tear. It's a career, it could be a career ender in basketball and cutting sports, but now we have a way to fix it. In 1977, when I tore mine, uh, there was really no good surgery for it. So um, I elected to go non-op, and that kind of ruined my uh, not-so-great career anyway. But uh, it turned me into Dr. Zickel, and I realized I had to do something in my life besides play football. And I started studying, and I wanted to be Bob Zickel. That's what I wanted to be. Who's Bob Zickel? Bob Zickel was a team doctor at Columbia, and he actually was an innovative uh, surgeon. He became the chairman at Valhalla, Westchester Medical Center. 
but he invented a nail for fracture fixation. Very, very innovative guy. But most important of all, great bedside manner. He called me Kel. Hey, Kel, we got this. I was like, man, this guy's unbelievable. We had another team doctor who had the bedside manner of a block punt. You know, uh, I mean, and this, and he just, I was like, you know, he examined, he goes, we got a level three, and they book him, Dano. I'm like, hello, patient here, hello, you know. And Zickel was like, you know, Kel, you're pre med. I said, yeah, well, let me help you out here. And then another team doctor gave me the uh, keys to his office, so I had to work to pay for my bills. And um, I would study for the MCAT, the entrance test, after school is over. And, and I, I took a fifth year because my GPA wasn't very good. And I studied in the doctor's office. And I don't know if it was because the office was so quiet or the fact that he was a chain smoker. And I walk in there, I got a nicotine high. So <laughs> I did good enough to test. I got into several medical schools. And, you know, that was my journey on the path to healing. So, so, but where were you uh, studying in college how to open up somebody? I thought it was shoulder surgery. Shoulder surgery, yeah, that's my and passion. And knee, both of them? I do arthroscopic, shoulder's my passion. So here's what happened. I get into medical school. I knew I wanted to be, well, let's rewind. Like most Irish Catholics, I had a very, very religious family. My mother went to Mass every day. My dad said the rosary day. I thought about the priesthood. And then uh, I saw these girls. I'm like, <laughs> this ain't going to work. This ain't. So what's the next best thing? In the healing ministry is, is, is medicine. Right. So I felt called to go to medicine. And then I get in the medical school, go through, and they said, time to pick a specialty. Well, I love sports. Mike and I, we wrestled track. I wrestled a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit in college, track in college and football. I said, I love sports. So orthopedics. Plus, I'm amphibious. Mike, I use both hands. Right? Is it called amphibious? Ambidextrous. Ambidextrous. It's a tough crowd, isn't it, folks? It is. Very tough. So Mike has oh, a set of drums there. These people are actually listening, so they really want to know. Yes. Um, so you know how uh, how you became a surgeon because you know of course so many people can't believe someone can take a knife to somebody else's body. Well, let me tell you something. One, my wife's father was a mechanic, and those of you in the audience that are mechanics, artists, masons, carpenters, there is something absolutely magical about working with your hands. I, I just got a tour of Mike's house here that, I mean, you know, I don't know whether I should wipe my shoes or, or just uh, bless this place, but it's unbelievably immaculate. And he's done construction. Like many good Italians are very good with their hands. So there's something magical about working with your hands. And you take that and you make someone better. All right, but I'm working with my hands. I'm making my house look good. They don't feel, the house doesn't feel any pain. You're working with your hands. You're gonna change somebody into a better person or heal them but you still got to give them a needle that numbs them, that you cut them and you nee, open nee, it up. Nee, and nee, 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 time out. They are asleep by the time oh. I cut them, okay? <laughs> so if I want to be in pain, I'd be a dentist. How does that right? even happen? Like you're in college now and you're studying to be this particular type of a doctor and then you see the first, is it a cadaver that's laying on the table? And they say, yes. here's the scalpel and uh, yeah. give it, give it, well, give you it know, your best uh, shot. And then they give it, well, they give us rotations, you go in the OR, and I actually was kind of a scared of blood. I was like, yeah. And then once you get over that fear factor, and someone hit me between the eyes, I was a fourth year student. He said, what do you think about it? I said, I think about an intro, I like cardiology, and then I like surgery. He goes, do you want to work with your hands and your mind, or just your mind? I'm like, because in orthopedics, we have to think a lot. People think we're just dumb, you know, uh, uh, fracture, fix it. <laughs> I wouldn't, think, I I wouldn't thinking, think that at all. A lot of thinking. Uh, a lot of mechanics, 
but I am a blessed guy because I got a wife to die for, twin daughters, but every day I get up in the morning and I say, who can I help today? And I just finished office hours and I do a lot of rotator cuff surgery. And if you have a rotator cuff tear, and you and I are both, you're about mid-30s now, right? Like yes, you, you mid-30s. Yeah, so I won't tell you my age, folks, but my social security number is six. All right. So we get the age right now where you have a lot of rotator cuff tears. If you had a rotator cuff tear, I'm like, you can't sleep. The pain is terrible. And people come in and say, hey, doc, I can sleep now. I can raise my arm. You know, I can do all these wonderful things. And, I mean, you, you, you can't get a, a premium on that. You, that's where I get paid in the office when someone says, you got my life back. The money comes. You know, my, my wife and I, we got low demand. We are both raised in a row house. I, I was so poor growing up, like the, my parents couldn't afford to have me. Lay next door had to have me. So, um, you know, we were born and raised in a row house. I got a garage now. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like got a house life house is now. good. So uh, when you go through college and you learn how to become this particular type of surgeon, and then you get uh, your practice and your, your business, and now you're working in a hospital yeah. like where, or a you practice know, I, where people come see you. Well, I'm a teacher. I work in a university setting. And I so you don't work it. at the hospital? I work at the hospital. It's an academic center. And one of the greatest joys I have is teaching the next generation of surgeons. And I can happy to tell the audience, uh, one of our twin daughters is now doing a residency in orthopedics. And, you know, women only comprise about 7% of orthopedic surgeons. So I'm really determined to change that number. And uh, she's up there at, uh, she has her mother's brain. She's at Dartmouth doing a residency. And... Um, you know, I, I just get a lot of joy showing, you know how you, folks, Mike Marino was a I comic get, mentor. He taught me a lot about how to do a show, and I'm nowhere near there yet. But I remember one time in the Club Cosmo, I said, Mike, what are you doing when the crowd doesn't laugh? He said, stick to your routine, keep smiling. And I do that. Like right now, when I'm bombing, I keep smiling. Wow. So, but just imagine crowd. teaching younger comedians everything you know. Yeah. And, and, and you're giving back. It's the vocation mm -hmm. we love. So I give back to the vocation I love orthopedics. So I have a young woman on my service now, great hands. And I just get great joy telling them what not to do. And, uh, and also how, the value of planning and, uh, you, know, you know, just learning and anatomy. Well, let, let me get this out. I get in a car accident. My knee's all jacked up. 911 picks me up and takes me to the hospital. You're working in that hospital that day. You're the guy who comes over to fix my leg. Is yeah. that the way that works? Yeah, we take call. I took 21 years of level one trauma. And those years, my wife's a saint, my hobbies were sleeping and breathing. So you come over to the patient. Yeah. You're the doctor on call, let's say, at yes. that time. Yes. And you do the x-rays and say, okay, here's what happened. This is yes. what we got to do. This is the way we're going to fix you up. Yes. And, you know, you, you, you're... Uh, now, you've seen it so many times that you know pretty quickly... Okay, this guy is going to have a problem with uh, the ACL. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the gray hairs coming in. You can look at an x-ray, you look at a patient, and it all has to, everybody's different. There's no two cases, there's no cookbook. And you meet people where they are. How active are you? How much pain are you in? Have you tried this, this, and this? And everybody's different. And the word doctor actually means teacher. So I teach them what I know, and we have a shared decision-making process. So, we'll, you know, given all this, and, and I will say, if, if you're, I said this today, I have a young man, I said, if you're my son, I would do this. I would, do, I would recommend this. You can't force the hand. You know, a, we're into service, not sales, Michael. Medicine I is a so, service. I hope so, because you got to understand there are a lot of places that upsell you. Well, you can't. I don't know yeah. about surgery, but even if you go to a dentist, 
you go, I got a little cavity. You know, you hold, need a whole mouth of teeth. And there's a lot of people up there who upsell oh, know, the crap know, out of you. Rob you. It's scary. You know, there's a great coach, football uh, basketball coach, John Wooden. He said, the best pillow is a clear conscience. And, it, and I couldn't sleep doing that. The re solemn responsibility I have to cut someone. If you do that when they're not, it's not as that's assault. So, and I go back to the nuns. You know, I told you and I always joke about how I got raised by the nuns. You know, Sister Rocky Marciano, first grade member. And uh, time out was time you're out. Remember that? You and yes. I talk about that? Yes. So we know right and wrong. And for me to operate on someone who doesn't need surgery, that is really wrong. And the temptations out there, you know, we just our, our twins just got married last year, and I'm thinking, I mean, how many, you know, how many unnecessary surgeries I could do to pay for this. I mean, yeah. it's, it's always it's always out there. You know? <laughs> both but, the twins got married. Both the twins got married. They have wonderful. I've the two best son-in-laws ever walked the planet, and uh, they both got their mother's looks and brains. Thank God. But um, yeah, we you know we took a hit, but we're paying it off. We'll get there. You know. Thank God for my comedy job. It's paying it. Yeah. Yeah. Comedy is big money, man. Big money, big There's money. There's no yes. money yeah. in surgery, but no money comedy, surgery. forget com it. Big, big time. You I just tell worked. one good joke, boy, you're off to the hospitals. I just did a big show at the Acme parking lot last week. Uh, six people show up. My four were relatives. It was a collection. So, uh, no, but anyway, I'm a blessed guy. I love comedy because it helps me with the healing arts. And comedy, uh, in the proper usage can be very healing. You don't you walk in and like, you know, I love your, your North Jersey laugh. Like, <laughs> you don't say like, you know, you got cancer. <laughs> right, right. It has to be appropriate. And I use it positive fashion. Like, you're so young. Or one of the lines I use all the time is if someone has their wife, I say, is this your oldest daughter? Now, sometimes you get in trouble with that. You got to read the room. Right. I had one guy who was, it's probably his eighth wife, but I knew it was his wife. And he says, he got very defensive. No, that's my wife. I'm like, okay, all right. I was like, Southwest Airlines, want to get away, you know? But um, if you can say, you know, you're so smart, you're so good-looking, you're so uh, athletic, strong, you know, it's, it, it can really help. And one of the things I do for someone who's really nervous, I'll walk in, I'll go, which leg we operating on? <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, and it just cools the ice like, yeah. oh, my God. Now you have to read the room. you got to make sure the patient's ready for that. What if the patient's really not that, he doesn't have a sense of humor? I'd be uh, panicked. I'd be like, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, the doctor's yeah, drunk. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I always quote that progressive commercial, like when the guy walks in and goes, you nervous? Yeah, me too. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and that usually gets a laugh. It's just letting them know you're in their corner, you understand. And I tell people, say, you know, I'd be nervous too if, if I was your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> There are, uh, I know my brother was calling you at one time because he had some problems with his knees. Yes. And there's a way to cure the knee or the shoulder without surgery, and that's filling it with some kind of gel yeah. that relieves the pain yeah. for a little while. What is that? That's hyaluronic acid. That's made from rooster combs. So Paul's what was, was he crowing for a while? And it works in some people. And um, the other thing about medicine, you have to be positive, too. You know... If you walk in there, the placebo is based upon what the patient thinks of treatment, but also how the doctor feels about it. You never go in there and say, well, we're going to try this injection. It might work. I say, hey, look, I, I think this is going to really help you. you yeah. know, it's what you believe in. you got to convey that. So I say truth, temper with optimism. Ma'am, I think we're going to fix this cuff because I really believe my heart is going to eliminate your pain. You don't walk in like, well, we can try this. And you have to exude confidence. And if I'm not confident, I send it to someone else, you know. Is, is surgery is a self-fulfilled prophecy. You guys ought to see this guy on stage. He is so confident. I'm back there, you know, saying three Hail Marys and, uh, <laughs> you know, my Xanax drip. 
you know. <laughs> That's what I'm and, saying about you guys. No, no. And Michael's I'm praying you're going to do a good said, show. I said, Michael's like, you know, <laughs> bang, you know, boom. So, but that, that comes with the reps. You know, my first surgery, Mike, I, I, I made coffee nervous. I was like, bah, 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 bah. I would um, be nervous. Did the patient know it was your first surgery? Uh, well, I don't think so. That's a good question. We just settled, does a, we just does, settled the suit. So we're good. <laughs> does a patient know how many surgeries a doctor has performed, especially that particular one that they'd be doing? Did you actually say, hey, listen, hi, how are you? No, uh, uh, today's my uh, first day, and uh, don't worry. I know what to do. In fact, I read this book. <laughs> well, you know, like, um, I'm going to use your word. Mike does the best female voice. Like, all these people come in and say, hi, they're doctor. How many times have you done this surgery? You know, they're, they're very cons the consumers are very informed. They go online, they check your ratings. They can even find out like how many times you've been sued. I work in Philadelphia, man. You know, folks, because you know we get sued like bid means twice a day. But that's just the culture in Philadelphia. But um, doctor, how many times have you done this procedure this month? I'm like, I gotta tell them the truth. I'm like, I, I just saw one with a, a guy with a hamstring tear. I do those surgeries, but they're rare. If you see a guy doing a lot of hamstring repairs, they're probably a little bit on the shyster side. So I said, well, I do this, you know, maybe once every few months when it's indicated. So, um, but the, the, today's consumer is so much more informed. But we are kids, you know, went to the doctor. The guy could have been, uh, you know, uh, just uh, out of jail. Who knows? But you're the doctor. Now it's like, well, so-and-so says that I went down the street and he says, I don't need surgery. I'm like, okay. That's All some right. creepy thoughts. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question, okay? Uh, we have a relative in our family that has a, a thing called brittle bone. Yeah. She's constantly getting surgery. She could just, I don't know, step some way the wrong way and she breaks a bone. Yeah. Had it her whole life. Oh. Uh, hospital after hospital, surgery after surgery. And then if it starts to look like the surgeons are screwing her up. But it's not just a shoulder or a knee. It could be a hip, um, uh, a rib. I mean, that's not something you work on, is it? No, but that's those are the people you know, Mike. I, I see these saints, like your relative every day. That's, that's a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta, where the matrix of the bone is, is defective. And these are, I see these kids when I was in training, they just have these rods when they're age six and their tibia and... You know, just when you think, my, my, my job keeps me so humble because my back hurts. You know, I'm in my 60s now, and, you know, I'm like the human cramp in the morning. You know, I need a can of 311 yes. just to walk, right? You told me one of your favorite lines is, you know, you sneeze blood, your calf. That, that's how I feel, you know? <laughs> and, you know, so do, do you poop? That's like a big thing in our age, you know? And my prostate is the size of Scotch Plains. You know, I pee in Morse code. I can go on forever. But these people, they're saints. And I say to myself, I'm not going to complain again. A little kid had, you know, three plates put in and expanding rods. So that disease, osteogenesis imperfecta, is really a difficult cross to carry. But here's the funny thing. I've had patients with that. Some of the, some of the most happy patients I have. I, I got a young lady, you know, I saw a few months back. She needed a serious knee surgery. She's like, I'm cool, doc. I'm cool. I'm like, man, you're unbelievable. Yeah, well, it's a different life, and you just described the way she is. She's happy all the time. I'm sure she would prefer not to be in that situation, but she's coming to the shows, and I, I see her all the time, and we try to make her laugh and smile, and you be careful about it, but, I mean, I think she's spent more 
time in a hospital than Evil Knievel. It's unbelievable. Well, I, I got to stop here and tell the audience. You and I did a show years ago uh, for that young woman who needed money for the uh, chair The bus. The, 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 the it was special, a van. The, they wanted to get raise enough money to get a van that would have a chairlift. And yeah. Michael crushed it. She was blind, deaf, and disabled. And I said, boy, you know what? I, I felt so blessed. And I said, it doesn't get any better than this. Here I am having fun, making at least a few people, at least my wife and daughter, there. they laughed. And raising money for, for the kind of heart this guy has. And I, I was never, a, ever. That was a sad one union, because the girl was there. The Union Elks Club. Yeah, and we met the girl. She came. The mother brought the daughter. A son, a daughter, and the little daughter, that the girl that was in the in the wheelchair, and it's like, wow, what a what a life changer to have oh, a kid like this. You know, gosh. it's funny. All these years later, I'm still in touch with that woman, and we do talk from time to time. That kid's a teenager, and has the the car. I don't think she drives the car, but she did start to get more vision, I believe. Yeah, well, she, she still it, can't drive, but they're happy. She was great disposition. The mother was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, about, How do you uh, do that? Positive. So, um, and the husband left that family for those reasons. Could you imagine that burden? Uh, boy, just tell me where he lives. I'll make a house call. Yes. Don't you feel like saying, hey, pal, can we have a conversation? You I think, can't, uh, Mike, you, you give can't. me your North Italian. Uh, wow. As you would say, like, let's discuss it. We'll talk yeah, about it. Yeah, <laughs> Oof. How do you start again? How do you start? Well, she's, they're heroes. Another hero, that woman that I saw, the child. And That's does, right. And Michael, you know, uh, when you ask me to do something, he works for the USO, the, the troops, any charity. He did a big favor for me years ago. We had an orthopedic convention. Absolutely. They're still talking about it, except for the balloons. Remember the balloons? Right. <laughs> you know, those balloons are like out of nowhere. Like, you know, this guy's one of the best comedians ever. And the balloons, you can't even tell a joke because there's balloons coming out left and right. That was one of the greatest parties, I tell you. I really, really enjoyed that. Met your family, met My your sister. My brother was still with us. Your sister was all talking about um, her relationship or your relationship with Dr. Oz. Well, he's a good egg, and we were high school together, and he was quite a football player. You went to high school? I thought it was college. High school with him. High and school with Dr. High, Oz. Doctor, doctor's in. He was a first-team All-State defensive tackle. And he and my sister were around the same age. I was a little older than him. And let me tell you about Dr. Oz. This is not a promo. I got no skin in it. I can tell you, I know him as a person. He's a good egg. And whenever something in the family goes down, when my brother, God rest his soul, had cancer, he got him hooked up to Sloan Kettering like in an instant. When my sister's brother, when my sister's son had a congenital heart defect, he took a whole day off of work and, and scoured the whole Columbia PNS pediatric cardiology division. Like, you know, who does that? Who does that? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So anyway, okay, so now this is your life, and this is where you're making your money. This is where you raised your kids. How did you step out into stand-up? It started in medical school, really, because, you know... I, I, I mean, when you were in medical school, were you going out at night cracking jokes in no, comedy no, no, clubs? No, 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 uh, Well, everyone, uh, I worship my father. He was a Marine Corps boxer. He was a drill instructor, uh, Paris Island, World War II. This guy was a bad dude. And he was my hero, and he made Mike and me box since we were age two. So talk about conflicted childhood. But he was my hero because I see him walk in these rooms and tell these jokes and make people happy. I said, I want to be that guy. Right. So in medical school, when a teacher was late for class, I get up there and I grab the microphone and I start doing impressions. Right. Of the teacher. Now that worked for a while <laughs> until the teacher comes. Found in. out. Yeah, that's one guy. Uh, he's a pathology professor. Professor, you know, his, his his job was dead. Get it? Pathology professor. So. Um, he talked like this, so I said, all right, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, way to take a good test is 
sit next to somebody smart, okay? And he, I'm saying all these lines. I'm doing an impression. He walks in. He goes, I thought, I'm, oh, my gosh, I'm dead. I'll never get my residency now. And he grabs the microphone and he starts laughing. You know, Shakespeare said, uh, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. You know, so I, did, I started doing that. And I figured, okay, I'll do it again. So I started doing it. And then my dad had the bar. And I graduated med school. And I started working summers at his bar. And then when I did his stand-up at his bar, I said, I can do this. Because when you work for a family business, there's a negative bias against, like, I would get us, shut up, you ain't funny, I don't care if your dad owns a bar, sit down, you idiot, go back to medical school. <laughs> so I, I kind of, before you told me, I just smiled. <laughs> I stick to the script, and I had my big brother there to back me up, who was even funnier than me. And so I figured, if I can handle the Logan House crowd. And then... Logan uh, House, that was Logan, the name of the bar? name of the bar. So the I did, Logan House Logan crowd. House. So I did, so then that morphed to medical gigs. And then when I turned 50 years old, I went through a little midlife crisis, I said, I, I got to start doing clubs, more clubs. That's where I met Michael with the Club Casbah in Wildwood. All right, and so you got to rewind just a little bit, let everybody know. There is one of the most famous comedy clubs in the state of New Jersey. Absolutely. Was the Casbah Comedy Club in Wildwood, New, New Jersey. Jersey. One of the only clubs to be opened only for four months. But at that time, in the heyday of comedy on the Jersey Shore, way down south, the club was thriving, was and thriving. every night of the week, the place was packed, packed with people who were down there on vacations from all around the United States, because people from Canada always went down to Wildwood, and then you had the tri-state area down the Wildwood, and well, Phil that's, Philadelphia. And that's why I got to meet this guy, because I was, I was just an open act, but I got to meet Michael, Joe DeVito, Jim Florentine, all these wonderful... You know, uh, Don Marrero, they had big, big names in Wildwood, Crest, or Wildwood, New Jersey. And then... Um, and we got to stay at this place, too. And you stayed in this little bungalow, which was like a sugar shack on the top roof of one of the scariest places. But, I mean, the summer nights. Come on, we're talking pizza, ice cream, cheesesteaks. You were across the street from the ocean. The seagulls, one of the biggest beaches in the world, took you had to take a cab to get all the way down to the ocean. And that's where we would find stand-up jokes. Yeah. All you had to do was just walk around and take a look. They had oh, the yeah. tram car. The tram car would go up and down the boardwalk, and they would blast the horn saying, watch the tram car, watch the tram car. Or they would run you right over because they didn't speak English. It was out of control and just fun. I miss it. I miss it so much. Oh. And what this guy... Uh, Mark, the Don Vito, they called him the Don, he would actually come out on stage dressed in a robe. You remember he would come out and go like this, welcome to the Casbah Comedy Club Casino and Spa. <laughs> and he gave me a stage name, The Love Doctor. The Love Doctor's on call tonight. And he always, ready for this, end of the show, he had a collection for a special charity. It was very positive. You know, he was a good-hearted guy. And uh, yeah. he was a mentor as this guy is to me, to many, many comedians over the years. And uh, we all remember Mark and toast his name, Mark Vito. Mark Vito, and I hope he's doing great wherever he is in this world. Um, it was so sad to see that place oh. go. Oh. It really was. When he called up and he said, it's over, I'm retiring. We're like, where are we going to perform? I know, I know. And one of the greatest things, too, was we would perform in Atlantic City for a week and then drop by to Casbah for the second week. So you were doing great financially because they're kind of close to each other, but not close enough to be a conflict. Ah, oh, you just took me back. I need a, I need a snow cone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the boardwalk was fantastic. I have to say this, though. One of the coolest green rooms you've ever sat in. 
He had his little antiques. He had this stereo that played music from a cassette that hadn't changed since the 1960s. And, and you a, couldn't touch it. And he, and he was a great mentor to me. But he would give me feedback. He'd say, hey, love doctor. I need eight minutes. Can you do it? So one year, I was open for Michael or Joe DeVito. And I get out there, and, you know, when, when the crowd's going, I happen to have a lot of friends, and, you know, I was kind of, so I go a little over. I get like 10 minutes, right? But, but everybody's <laughs> laughing. I get back. And the first thing he does, he goes, what the hell did I tell you? I said, eight minutes. What the hell are we doing up there? I'm like, hey, Don, come on. I thought I was doing good, man. You know, but, and then one time I showed up in shorts. He goes, never, ever, Doc, do shorts on a guest spot. Yeah, right? yeah. So these are things that coachable. I was like 52 years old getting all these coachable like, points from the Don. It was great. It was great. Isn't that funny? I really wish he was around us and we were down there right now just to hear those critiques. Oh, my God. Because I remember there were some people that would go on stage in shorts and okay, we're on the Jersey Shore, it's hot out, and most people in the showroom were in shorts. Yeah. But you're a performer. He's supposed he, to be on stage looking me, good. And he also said, never go to the men's room before you go on, because in case you dribble, you have a stain. <laughs> These are important things, folks, especially the prostate thing. So my kids said, what kind of underwear do you wear? And I said, well, it depends. It depends. <laughs> that so, was so great. And I forget your kindness, Mike. Mike was always patient with me backstage. He'd give me feedback. And I'd say, how am I doing this? Go back to surgery. Yes, okay? stick to your job. Stick to your job. But um, now you also went on stage dressed like a doctor. He, would go, he actually brought his lab coat. Yeah. Um, you don't have to put it on. It's too hot down here. But um, what was that, your, your gimmick? Uh, how did you come to be to say, hey, listen, I really am a doctor? Because I have seen you perform without it. Yeah, well, it was just a little gimmick, you know, a little shtick. And uh, it just makes you a little different. And, uh, you know, I come out with the, the rectal thermometer. I write, say, I can't find my pen, and all I can find is a rectal thermometer. And so it means some a hole has my, my yeah. pen right now. <laughs> that was my opening line. So, um, but it, it was a little gimmick, making me a little different, because I'm, I'm never going to compete with this guy. So I had to have a little shtick, say I'm different. And uh, that was, that's what it was. And um, I, I just love it. There's nothing like making people happy. You know, yeah. if God puts you on yeah. this earth to help the planet, and you know, and especially with the COVID thing, Michael, and uh, all the economic woes, I never forget, I got to share a story. I was doing the Casbah one day, and one of my patients, her husband was a twin, and he died of cancer, oh. like my brother. And only I can understand the anguish of losing a twin. You know, his twin brother died of cancer. It's some genetic thing. So she said, are you in town? I said, yeah. She said, I said, why don't you come to the Casbah? I'm going to do a little shtick with uh, opening for Mike Marino. I did a, you know, B plus, but I never forget the text. She said, John, thank you. You made me feel so much better. I'm like, wow, this comedy stuff works. And when you go on a show with Michael, he, he's not one of these people that's just filthy. He makes you feel better about yourself. It's like this positive energy. The comedy does help. It heals. You know, what's funny is uh, lately, well, not lately, uh, a lot of the times, I get a lot of great fan mail, and what the people say about how I made them feel yes. blows me away. I'm like, yes. really? Yes. You really yes. feel inspired yes. because of what I said? Yes. You yes. look at things differently because of what I said? It's pretty, pretty whacked. When I, the other day, a new bit went out on the uh, internet, and a lot of people were saying, go, baby, go. This guy's great. I love him. I could watch him every day. And then one person said, I would never wear that kind of shirt. And that's all I saw. 
1,000 compliments, and all I saw was the one guy saying something about my shirt. And I wanted to go, what do you mean you don't like the shirt? Who cares about the shirt? Did you like the joke? And it drives you crazy. Well, you know that? But see, that's your blessing and the curse. We were talking about how drummers are, are comedians, but... To be a good comedian, uh, you had to be hypersensitive. You have to know how to read the room. And we take all that negative energy. I'd be, I could be doing a show, again, a B plus. This guy's an A plus. And there's a one person that's not looking like this. That's the person I look at. And it's, it's just you have to just keep staying ahead and like move forward, forward, forward. But um, Michael's comedy is very creative. You know, my wife is a saint, and I've done shows. I stopped doing a lot of clubs because there's just filth. They just got an F this, F that. That's not creative. This guy has a great. Uh, you know, Italian set, and it's very creative. There's a lot of ingenious, you know, you know, the way he works being Italian. Instead of going out there and F this, F, like, come on, man. Yeah. You know, am I, you know, and it doesn't I was really propel your career. You and I worked at a club once that was like, remember it was a rough place, it was in, I'm not going to tell you the name, but the hat check girl's name was Dominic. Remember how rough it was? Remember? Right. And um, I was embarrassed. My wife I was like, let's get out of here. Yeah. Sometimes the places could be nasty. Sometimes, like this weekend, I really wish you were coming to the, uh, Surflight. Surf um, I don't know when this episode's going to air, but I'll be at the Surflight Theater on August 7th, and I play there every summer. It's one of the oldest theaters in the state of New Jersey. It's down in Long Beach Island, and I, I remember you came down and you played it with me and John Bramnick. It was just the three of us. It's gonna, it would have been the three of us again uh, Sunday. So it's me and him. We were waiting Is for Is it you. Sunday or Saturday? Sunday night. Wait a second. I may be able to make that. Maybe. Yeah, we'll do it. Stay tuned. I'm sorry. Maybe it's too late. He but just said it on camera. Because <laughs> uh, I get in a flight from Chicago. Let me let me check with my uh, agent, Mrs. Kelly, okay? <laughs> but never, we, we, you we, with the Kelly agency? We, we, we were backstage, and uh, Michael did a little shoot. He goes, I'm backstage with Dr. John Kelly oh, and yeah. lawyer John Bramnick. <laughs> <laughs> if there's an accident, I got a lawyer and, and a doctor. Uh, well, John got me off a couple DUIs. He's really good. He's the best. He's, he's a really, great guy. We're talking good, about uh, a guy who is a state assemblyman now. Yeah, very principled, too. Yeah. Very principled. Good I guy. For him in a great second. comedian. Very, very funny. Oh, yeah. So where are you going to be performing around now? What are you doing? I do mostly medical gigs. I am doing a, uh, a little shtick uh, in Nashville uh, coming up in September. And uh, every time there's a convention, I try to, you know, uh, they, they look for me. I just did a little mini show last week in Phoenix. It was, a gra it was a medical graduation, and uh, I did like 15 minutes of comedy and then like 30 minutes of wellness. So my, my daughter and I actually want to tell you, my, uh, comedy and healing, I'm interested in physician wellness because burnout, about 50% of doctors are burned out. So my daughter and I wrote a book on the resilient physician, and we use comedy as a, a healing means. When you're telling jokes and you're laughing, you're in the, in the moment. You know, all that lawsuits and the drink. When you're a surgeon, you take patients home with you, the draining wound, the fever. I got about four people right now on the prayer list, right? So, but when you're telling jokes and you're, seeing, you're totally immersed in the moment and all this stuff goes away, that's why I'm so happy to come up here and have this little reprieve from uh, my, my mundane, not my mundane, but my stressful life. And um, It's funny that you should say it that way because, uh, you know, I agree with you. As the entertainer, it does play on your head. Because there are some days where kind of like, you know, uh, I like my career, I like my life, but shouldn't I have been more famous by now? Shouldn't I have a TV series by now? Well, yes. If I was bigger, I would like to do more stuff. But then again, I could be bigger and want even more. I'm always going to want more. Mm -hmm. This is what I've dedicated my life to doing. So I'm always going to want more. 
there was a time where I did have a stomach problem and I went to go see a surgeon and they saved my life. To make a long story short, he said to me, where are you going to find the comedy in this tragic thing that happened to you? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm performing at the Count Basie in Red Bank. Here's some tickets. Come see and all I talked about was when I was in the hospital and they wouldn't let me go home unless I passed gas. And I just thought that was the funniest thing oh I've ever gosh. heard. Oh, yeah. And he said, because I had a colon resection. And he said, we know that the operation was a success when the air goes through. So I kept saying, so if I fought, I could walk out of one flew over the cuckoo's nest and they were just cracking up laughing. So I think for the seven days that I was in this hospital, they were all having more fun because I was there cracking them up all day oh my long. Gosh, well, you know the GI doctors are special, and you know they, they deal with gas and stool. You know, in fact, I was listening. I listened to Doctor Radio. <laughs> uh, we have a new breakthrough in the treatment of constipation. Like, and that's the biggest breakthrough. I mean, can you imagine being an expert in constipation? Well, I, I mean, God bless them. God bless them. I wrote a joke recently, and I'm going to try it out this weekend. <laughs> I wanted this. My uncle. Uh, my uncle Tommy, who is an older guy, and I'm I'm doing this uh, as a brand new type of a character, and he's a cross between Lieutenant Columbo and Archie Bunker. And I said, I remember a long time ago, he said to me, "Yeah, I'm constipated. When you get older, you'll get constipated, but you can't force it out because if you force it out, you give yourself some hemorrhoids. I got hemorrhoids look like three fingers, and I just like, <laughs> how could you not laugh at what he just said?" And you don't even think it's that funny because you're a kid. Then you get into your 50s and go, holy shit, he's right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then you get the other thing, the prostate thing, which is the other effect. You know, I can't pass a men's room. The last thing I said to Michael before we were going, I said, Mike, where's, where's your bathroom? Okay. What exactly is that? You said your prostate is the size of West, uh, the town. Uh, yeah, Scotch Plains. So that means the prostate's big. You it have to go bigger. to the bathroom more often? Well, it's actually medical. I'm, I'm not a urologist. Uh, but it gets bigger and actually starts to strangle what we call the urethra. Oh. So it's hard to empty your bladder. So I heard Billy Crystal say, I pee in Morse code. So I take something called Flomax and that's maxed out. So I'm just lucky I missed my sneakers when I pee. So I'm just happy about that. Okay, That's I'm hilarious. There. I'm getting there. But the ravages of age. But again, people like your cousin keep me humble. Like, hey, man. Yeah, and I saw my brother go through the whole thing with cancer. I'm cool, man. I am blessed. I'm really sorry about your brother. Oh, what what exactly happened to your brother? Uh, he had gallstones, and he uh, never really uh, got it, uh, treated in time, and he developed cancer. And he was a hero. I mean, he went through five, about five surgeries, about four rounds of chemotherapy. He's my hero. He was tough as nuts. He was a great football player for Columbia. And he would say, bring it on. And he was a man of faith. And... Uh, you know, the good Lord took him last January, and it's not a single day I don't think about him. He's we're identical twins. Identical twins. And I told you he was very handsome. I remember, <laughs> I remember meeting very him. Very handsome, and he was uh, boy, he could, and he had so much passion. And he had a big law firm here in New Jersey, and he was always defending the poor and the unjust, the downtrodden. Very big, big civil rights guy. He was just my hero. And Does I, he have a, a wife and oh, his children? His wife is a saint, Deanna, and his son Patrick is uh, my nephew, who's a fantastic athlete. And his daughter Joanna is now taking up the trade. She's a Works in the public defender's office in Philadelphia, and she's on fire. She'll, she's an incredibly gifted trial lawyer. She, she could get you off of uh, anything. <laughs> and I, I'll tell you how good she is. I broke a, a mirror. Supposed to get seven years that bad luck. She got it down to four. <laughs> That's how good she is. Wow. All right. Well, hey, we got to see you on stage some, uh, somewhere, somehow, and tell us what we can uh, look forward to see. Uh, What's happening in your life in the future after this uh, podcast down at my mother's basement? What do you got going on? 
so I got the little just private sticks, most of the medical gigs uh, coming up. And um, I like to promote the book that Anne Marie yeah. and I wrote. It's called the, Resi- it. the Resilient Physician and has principles on stress management uh, that everyone could use, going from mindfulness, exercise, you know, diet, sleep, all the things we all struggle with to have some semblance of balance, including fun, not just the absence of stress, but having fun, you know, and for me it's comedy. And The Resilient Physician, physician. with daughter Anne-Marie Marie Kelly, Kelly, M.D. M.D., she's a... So you wrote the book together? Wrote the book together. Where do we get this book? You can get it, I believe, on Amazon. I think it's, uh, I think it's Walter's Clure. I think, I, well, I'm embarrassed by the publisher, but um, I'll be doing some other medical shticks. I can let the public know when I do those. Uh, most of them are more for medical audiences, but... Uh, and I always love working with this guy here. And, well, where do um, we find you on the internet? Uh, I gave um, your your um, agent my my website, uh, Twitter account. <laughs> you uh, forgot it. Well, I, I, I wrote the Twitter. It's account. all right. We got it here on the paper. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's, no, paper. it's not my agent. She's the producer of the producer, show live from my me. mother's basement. Tatiana Blueshell. Who's very talented. She's phenomenal. Anyone who can get me up here on time is talented. <laughs> he got him on time. I got him on time. I got the COVID test. I, I flunked the drug screen, Mike, but I got the COVID test. That was okay. I got every test. I got every test. I even got the shingles. I got chirpies, but it's treatable. <laughs> we can find him on Facebook.com forward slash John D. Kelly IV. What's IV? That's what I use after a hangover. <laughs> IV. And Instagram, John D. AK4. Um, John look- David Aloysius Kelly the fourth. Aloysius? Aloysius. Really? My confirmation name. Yeah, spell it. Try to spell it. Get brownie points. <laughs> we can find him on Facebook.com forward slash John D. Kelly uh, IV or Instagram forward slash John D.A.K. 4. You should look at his book, ladies and gentlemen. It'll probably make you feel good that he wrote with his daughter, who happens to be a twin like he is a twin. Yeah, twin the Resilient Williams. Physician with daughter Anne Marie Kelly, medical MD. MD. Um, we're going to get going. You got any kind of jokes you want to talk about real quick before we get out of here? Do a little routine. Oh, I love to do a routine. Do a little, you know, little stand-up I, 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 routine. I'm getting a little older here, Mike. I was telling Mike about my age now. You know, my favorite drink now is Metamucil. <laughs> and uh, my morning after pills, Motrin. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, my six-pack just became a keg. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my thumbs, they got so much arthritis. I need a caddy to go to the men's room right now. <laughs> so my wife said to me, he goes, why don't you start working on some jigsaw puzzles? You lose memory. I said, okay, I have half Alzheimer's, halfway to Alzheimer's. So I worked on a jigsaw puzzle, and I finished this thing in three weeks. She said, what's going on? I said, I just finished this jigsaw puzzle. In three weeks, she says, what's the big deal? I said, well, the boxer says two to four years. Oh. <laughs> true story. True story. So I, I'm just, I, I want to tell the audience, uh, he's uh, old school. He's a friend for the ages. He's always there when I ask him to do things, and uh He's got a heart bigger than in Mike Marino's basement. That's what I'll tell you. You don't make him like him anymore. Well, let's all stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing everybody again on the next episode of Live from My Mother's Basement. Remember, let's make America Italian again. The motto is you don't know nothing, you don't see nothing, you don't say nothing. And how do I end every single one of my broadcasts by always saying the same thing? Do you know? Do you know what I say? Mm-hmm. Don't take no shit from nobody. You ready? Don't Don't take take no no shit shit from from nobody. nobody.